0: I'm your host, Edlerian Family Counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hello, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. A very special hello for those people that have reached out to me to let me know how much they're enjoying the podcast during their morning walks and runs. So, if you're out there in the sunshine, um, good for you for being healthy and using your time. Out there for some advanced learning and, and encouragement. And so that's what I wanted to start with. I wanted to start talking about the concept of encouragement. It's a major Adlerian tenant. And one of Adler's colleagues was Dr. Rudolf Dreikers. And he had a saying that a child needs encouragement as a plant needs water, that it is an ongoing process. And one of the ways to know if your child needs Encouragement is if you are seeing them misbehaving, that all misbehavior comes in from some way or another from a feeling of being discouraged. And so the prescription is to overcome those feelings of discouragement. And we do that by giving encouragement to a child. And too often that concept is either simplified or misunderstood because often we praise praise is very evaluatory and really makes a child feel that they have a measuring rod that they have to live up to and uh, and that they're if they're misbehaving and they're discouraged they're somehow feeling less than so encouragement is the cure to that and uh, to learn to be a good encouraging parent It takes some skills because many of us were not given encouragement as kids, so it may not feel as as natural, and a lot of the tapes in our heads are more praise-based. So I thought I would share a writing with some some basic tips that my grandmother, Edith Dewey, wrote, and um, she gives some basic pointers for uh, how to encourage children. And so I'll just read through these here. The first is to avoid discouragement, the feelings of inferiority which all humans experience must be overcome if we are to function optimally. Two, work for improvement, not perfection, and this goes for adults too. Three, commend effort. One's efforts is more significant than one's results. Four, separate the deed from the doer. One may reject the child's actions without rejecting the child. Five, Build on strengths, not on weaknesses. A misbehaving child has the power to defeat the adult. Give him or her credit for this. Six, show your trust in the child. And this must be sincere. So no. So one must first learn how to trust the child. Mistakes should not be viewed as failures. Number seven, we need to take away the stigma of failure. Failure usually indicates a lack of skill. One's worth is not dependent on success. Eight, Failure and defeat will only stimulate special effort when there remains the hope of eventual success. They do not stimulate a deeply discouraged child who has lost all hope of succeeding. 9. Stimulate and lead the child, but do not try to push him or her ahead. Let the child move at his or her own speed. 10. Remember that genuine happiness comes from self-sufficiency. Children need to learn to take care of themselves. 11. 11. Integrate the child into the group rather than treating them as something special. Treating the child as something special increases their overambition. An overambitious child who cannot succeed will usually switch to the useless side of life with their private logic. If I can't be best, I'll at least be the worst. Even more seriously, he or she may just give up altogether. 12. Stimulating competition usually does not encourage children. Those who see hope of winning may put forth an extra effort, but the stress is on winning rather than on contribution and cooperation. The less competitive one is, the better one is able to stand competition. 13. Remember that praise is not the same as encouragement. Praise may have an encouraging effect on some children, but praise often discourages and causes anxiety and fear. Some come to depend on praise and will perform only for recognition in ever-increasing amounts. Success accompanied by special praise for results may make the child fear, I can never do it again. 14. Help the child develop the courage to be imperfect. We all need to learn to take mistakes in stride and learn from them. 15. Success is a byproduct. Preoccupation with the obligation to succeed is intimidating. The resulting fear and anxiety often contributes to failure. If one functions with the emphasis on what contributes, contributions he or she makes or how he or she may cooperate with others, success is usually the result. 16. Don't give responsibility and significance only to those who are already responsible. Give opportunities to be responsible to a child who is discouraged and it may make it worthwhile for him to cooperate. 17. Solicit the help of the other members of the family or members of the group, like a classroom, to help a discouraged child find his or her place in useful ways. 18. Remember that discouragement is contagious and that a discouraged child tends to discourage those who work with him. 19. Avoid trying to mend one's own threatened ego by discouraging others or by looking down at them. And 20, the last one, overcome your pessimism and develop an optimistic approach to life. Optimism is contagious and helps encourage yourself and others. So thank you, Edith, for that quick little summary. And I hope that was helpful for you. And let's get on to today's questions. Uh, So question number one, I saw your YouTube post today on technology. My 18-year-old has severe anxiety, depression, and I have lost the battle on technology one and a half years ago. She's constantly on Netflix. We usually shut down the internet nightly at 1 a.m., but the other kids need it during the day for homework. I'm at work, so I can't monitor, and frankly, I'm done being the police. Any recommendations for my adult kid? She has pretty well stopped doing any homework. Well, I would say if you have an 18-year-old that has severe anxiety and depression, I'm hoping that you will get some professional help for her. There's things that we can do to be helpful to parent a child with anxiety and depression, but she needs somebody to therapeutically work with her if she's uh, of that age and it's truthfully in the severe category. Uh, No doubt the uh, constant watching of Netflix is one of the ways that she is uh, losing herself self-soothing, uh, trying to eliminate those feelings of anxiety and depression by losing herself in in what she's watching. Uh, so that may be part of her solution. It's not a healthy solution, but you can appreciate her creativity around that. Uh, I would um, as a parent uh, try to have a conversation with her about paying attention to the kinds of activities that she does that makes her feel better and the activities that that, um, bring about more feelings of depression and anxiety and see if she can't do some small experiments in organizing her day a little bit better that she might find that if she's getting a better night's sleep, if she's eating better, if she finds some other activities to balance out the TV watching and sort of push in other activities reflecting back to her, hey, you know, originally you didn't think you'd like to go for a walk but um, when you came back around the block, how did you feel? So that she can reflect and say, oh, yeah, actually, that was that was sort of a nice thing to do. Maybe I should incorporate more of that in my life. So I think if you do it with curiosity and coming at it from more like a supportive role rather than trying to dictate to her what she should and shouldn't be doing, which is more of a control mode, it's not going to float well for an 18-year-old. And to your point, you're done being the police. But I think that's where we often see ourselves in in sort of a dichotomous role. We either feel like we're policing or we feel like we're the doormat getting walked over. And there is this middle ground. There is, especially with young adults, this idea of being a supportive coach on the journey with them, asking curiosity questions and encouraging them to explore different options for themselves that comes from a place of care and concern, not control and right and wrong. And in terms of the homework, again, at 18, uh, using the, the encouragement information that we just said, we really want to give ownership, the self-reliance to our child, that she's responsible for her learning. And she's made the decision that she's not going to do any homework. And I think that we know that COVID has made a backdrop of a very different circumstance than a child who is checked out of school. Uh, if they were showing up in the classroom, I would give, be giving different recommendations. But um, We're so close to the end of the school year. There's so many people that have dropped out. There really doesn't feel um, a usefulness anymore. Um, So you might point out why it might be useful for her and what her goals are independent of what other people are doing. But in the end, you have to honor and trust her to say, you know, I guess you've decided that you're going to make up that learning later. And that's a choice that she can make. And she will figure out the consequences for that. Um, And so you can share your concerns or you can share why you think it's important, but ultimately you want to return responsibility to the child and say, you know, so you, you decide for you how this is going to go and I'll support you however that looks. And that vote of confidence in them, that that vote of returning responsibility improves the relationship and makes our kids more likely to be open and receptive to some of the wisdom that we've shared without trying to cram it down their throat. So hopefully that's uh, helpful and that she gets some some help soon. And uh, sorry that you're struggling with that. Again, such, such difficult times. Uh, next question. My family has been in lockdown for 14 weeks. But the kids' grandparents have basically been living life as usual. Now with bubbles opening up, the grandparents will be expected to see the kids and kiss and hug them. How do I handle this without hurting their feelings? Well, I think the bubbles opening up is going to cause some uh, social stressors for people. I think the most important thing is for you to... Get really clear on what your values are in terms of ranking what's your most important role. Is the health and safety and protection of your nuclear family more important than the feelings of the extended family? And, um, you know, I'm sure you've already weighed out the risk factors. We know that young people are actually um, fairly unlikely, although, you know, I'm not reporting from the position of being the health minister. But we know actually it's the grandparents that are at at a higher risk here. But if your choice is that you have decided that you are not feeling comfortable with that amount of contact, then it may be hard news for them to hear, but you still have to live with yourself and and what you feel is right for your family as your role of parent in the family. So I think the um, we can't really be responsible for how the grandparents are going to feel. We don't want to emotionally caretake them, but we can certainly uh, have that message be better received and less hurtfully received if we make it about us instead of about them. And so it's, it's kind of um, allowing them to save face. So if you say, well, you didn't lock down and you didn't abide by the rules and, you know, you did this, then people get defensive. And that's when it gets hurtful. Instead, if we turn it around and put the focus on us and we say, you know, well, I've decided that, you know, we kept the family in lockdown because we're not ready. And you can use humor as a tool and sort of say, I know, I know, we're that neurotic 2020 family. I wish I wasn't that neurotic parent. But you know how it goes when you're young and you got little kids and and you, you kind of overdo. Well, that's me, you know. So you can say it's on me, <laughs> but you still stand by your decision. And uh, I think there's some cultures that are far better at allowing other people to save face. And they embed it into their language and they embed it into their social interaction so that the other person always has a way of kind of getting off the hook rather than being embarrassed or or feeling badly or put on the spot. And we're not as good as uh, other cultures are in North America. But I would give that a go and, and see if that helps you out. So that's a short podcast today. And given that my Back is spasming, and I'm dealing with that health issue. I will end you with that. Um, But if you are enjoying learning more about Edlerian psychology and you're liking being on this journey, I'm going to post in the show notes today a uh, couple of links to other places on the internet besides my own that accrue Edlerian information. And one is the North American Association of Edlerian Psychology, or a national organization. And I will also include on there a Cassie, um, which is a summer school that um, hosts international gatherings, including kids, which is kind of fun when things open up again, that you can come together with your family. There's a kids program and a parents program, and you can do some adult learning that way as well as um, Adleropedia, which is a collection of sort of all all things Adler, all in one place. So I'll get those resources up for you as well. So continue on with um, surviving life in these strange times and keep sending in your questions. Have a great week. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishnabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit.